You want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, the podcast where prominent figures in sports talk about how sport has impacted the journey of their lives. Philly special. Ready? Welcome everybody to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, episode 17. Today's guest is defense is defensive back coach at Simon Fraser University and recruiting coordinator Jordan Lennon. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us today on Huddle Up. Thanks for having me. So obviously the pandemic has really thrown things to the wind with football seasons everywhere. Fortunately, NCAA Tier 1 Division 1 get their season still, but with you guys at SFU, are you guys also suffering from not having a football season this year? And if so, how do you guys handle that as a coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, definitely these are uh, unprecedented times. Uh, nothing that we could ever foresee coming. Um, you know, for us at our level, uh, both in our conference and as well as at our university, um, we had to kind of adapt and, and adjust to the kind of new normal. Um, and in doing that, we decided to kind of forgo the season for the fall. Um, our conference and across the Division Two in general um, has decided not to play this fall. Um, we're looking at different options, one of those options being playing in the spring, um, and then the other option being, you know, potentially just waiting till next fall to get back at it. Um, and in the meantime, for us, what we're doing and what I'm sure most pr- programs across the country uh, are doing is, um, you know, still practicing with our guys, still trying to be as engaging as possible, um, still training as a group, still doing on-field stuff. Um, and that's the biggest thing for us right now. What we're trying to do is make sure that we have access to uh, getting our players around each other and kind of continue to build that chemistry as well as that team bond. So what's the toughest thing about not playing games in a season? People, I've interviewed a few coaches now, and they talk about, you know, games are such a small percentage of what actually happens in a football season outside of practice and implementing schemes and different technique and really getting out to the nitty gritty. But at the end of the day, you play to win the game. So what is difficult about not being able to play the game? I think the hardest part, honestly, um, you know, all those things aside is, is, is simulating, you know, real live reps, getting those, um, you know, that intensity and that, you know, timing and that um, certain, you know, energy that a game brings, you know, there's, you can simulate those things in practice to a certain degree. Um, you know, you can do things like having music, you know, controlled scrimmages, having referees, doing all that, those things. But there's nothing that gets you up like playing against an opponent, right? Um, and I think for us, the biggest thing right now is we're trying to make sure that our players understand is, you know, you have to have, you know, intention in how you approach practice and, and how you approach these meetings and how you approach like the voluntary workouts. You have to have that same intensity, that same focus um, and that same, you know, determination to get better. Um, regardless of whether we play or not. So, you know, that's, I think, the one thing we're going to miss, not being able to play games this fall, is that, you know, intensity, that intention, that preparation that comes with playing for a game. Because, you know, we always tell our guys, you know, you work all week to get paid on the weekends. Well, you know, for us, that means you're, you know, you're putting in the work in the classroom, in the meeting room, in the weight room, on the practice field all week long. You know, Friday we get on a plane or on a bus and we travel to wherever we're playing or we're playing at home. And then Saturday it's, it's go time. You, you know, all the preparation is done, all the work is done. Now it's about playing football. So, you know, I think that's the hard part is right now keeping our guys engaged and understanding that there isn't going to get that. You're not going to get the reward you necessarily get every year. Um, Every, especially during the football season, but right now you get the 
reward of being able to still practice, still be around your teammates, still be able to play the game you love. It's just in a different capacity. So with many similarities across the country here in Canada and some places in the U.S. as well, do you find as a recruiting coordinator that it becomes increasingly difficult to be able to do your job in that aspect because of the limitation of no high school football being played Canada-wide this fall? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said before, you know, unprecedented time. I think we're all kind of adjusting to what has become the new normal. But at the same time, I think we also understand that, you know, we have to do our job the same just in a different capacity. So, you know, what that means for us, especially on the recruiting side of things, is how do we find a way to evaluate players? Um, how do we find a way to evaluate them based on, you know, their current physical state, mental state, all those things? Because, yes, we're going to watch tape. You know, we're going to watch their junior tape. We're going to see the things that they did in spring. Um, but to not have a chance to evaluate these people live and in person is, is difficult as far as being able to get a true, accurate evaluation. Um, that being said, you know, I mean – the hardest thing I think going into the spring part of the recruiting cycle and then also into the fall of their senior years or to this this recruiting class's senior year is the fact that we don't get to have those in-person uh, interactions so you know we're relying heavily on reaching out to coaches reaching out to position coaches reaching out to you know people that we value opinions whether it's you know trainers or camp coordinators that have had them in the past or maybe it's a strength coach at their school or maybe it's a basketball coach we're reaching out to various you know avenues to try and gain as much information on players um, to get a well-rounded picture and an that way we can make informed and educated decisions as opposed to, you know, just saying, well, this person said so-and-so is a good football player. Um, you know, that does go a long way, but we have to do our part and due diligence in terms of being able to find out academically how these players are handling school, you know, especially with things being online now and, and kids having, you know, delayed, uh, you know, start to the school year or having a long layoff from school from last year. Like, we've had to find new avenues of how we gain information and gather information on players before we make offers or before we pull the trigger on, you know, Hey, this guy is a guy that was close last year. Where is he now? Is he better academically? Is he better athletically or is he worse? You know, and those are the things that we're, um, you know, as a staff trying to do right now and continuing to do as we go moving forward into 2021. So as a recruiting coordinator, you yourself are a pretty young coach and pretty young person to be in that position. What got you into being the recruiting coordinator for Simon Fraser? And what do you enjoy most about being in that position? I think for me, honestly, I, I was fortunate to, to be behind some great coaches and be surrounded by some great coaches um, from the minute I stepped foot on campus at SFU. Um, I was hired by Coach Ford, uh, Thomas Ford. He's now, you know, left at UW, uh, University of Washington. And, you know, our staff, for the most part, stayed intact. You know, Mike Regal is our new interim head coach, and he was a recruiting coordinator before I was. Um, he brought me a wealth of experience in terms of where he's been in his coaching journey. Um, he gave me all the tools and resources to kind of understand what it takes to do the recruiting aspect of our job and do it at a high level. So for me, um, I kind of just followed in his footsteps. Uh, I work alongside uh, another gentleman that we just uh, hired onto our staff, uh, Jerome Erdman, who's coached for 20 plus years uh, around the country and another guy that I extremely um, respect um, and has a wealth of knowledge in the recruiting aspect as well. So again, you know, for me to be in the position I'm in at SFU um, as a young coach, uh, I'd love to say that it's all me, but it's not, you know, I'm surrounded by some great people giving great advice and understanding the landscape and understanding how to go about certain aspects of the recruiting game, because, you know, no matter how good of a coach you are, or how good um, of, you know, 
know, person in terms of social interaction you are, it, it still can be kind of finicky because you don't know what a player wants or what their needs are necessarily. And sometimes you might think you check all the boxes, but there might be an institution or a university or a program that has maybe just that one thing that you never thought of that that kid is looking for more so than what your school has offered. So, you know, it's just the different dynamics and understanding um, you know, being a young coach, I may be a little bit more in tune with kind of, you know, the the what and now kind of, you know, mentality some of these players have because I'm not that far removed from the game. But outside of that, I mean, I'm, I still lean heavily on our staff and, and, and the people that I'm surrounded by to, you know, educate myself on processes and how to better do something. I'm always trying to learn. And that's kind of where for me, you know, stepping into this role is just continuing to try and help better position our staff as well as our program. Um, for the future you know that's what recruiting is is bringing players in that help build the culture help build you know the athletic profile the academic profile of your university um, and, and that's what we do we, we constantly vetting and looking for players that fit that mold and when we find them then it's about making sure we do all the due diligence and then we offer and hopefully this is the place that gets them to playing at and Simon Fraser being in a very unique position in Canada for a university being the only one that plays down in the United States is that something that you feel gives a stronger pull to the program or do you feel like there's a pretty even balance between the ways in which you can bring kids to the program as well as difficulties and obstacles that you guys encounter when trying to bring kids to the program because they may want to play in Canada or play the Canadian game? Because there is a difference with the way in which obviously the, the football is played across the border. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing with how we go about, you know, offering an opportunity to our university is it is a different complete you know, unique opportunity. We know we like to think that we offer something that no other Canadian institution can offer. And that's, you know, the opportunity to play in the NCAA at an extremely high level at the division two level. Um, but also the chance to gauge yourself as far as a football player individually against arguably some of the better or best, you know, football players in North America. And that's where, you know, when it comes to recruiting, we don't hard sell or try to make that the only thing that sets us apart and make us unique because that's not what we hang our hat on we hang our hat on education and the ability to be a school that has a high academic standing um but that being said you know we look for those players that you know and it's not just a canadian thing it's on both sides of the border that believe in playing high level football getting a high level education and being at a university in a beautiful city um you know obviously i'm biased i'm from vancouver but at the same time you know i think that's what adds to the profile of what we do as a program in terms of the recruiting aspect and also you know really promoting the program is you know there's a lot of places in canada you know i went to school in manitoba i've, I've been to other places um you know i've coached other places i've played at other places um and it's it's one of those things that you realize that what we have here in BC or in Vancouver is a very unique opportunity because of the location, but then also what the academics offer and then also what the athletics offer as far as being able to play U.S. competition. I don't think that there's a better mix or a more unique mix than that. So, you know, that's what I think for us is, is what we try to promote when we talk to players across the country. When you reflect on your experience in, related, in relation to being a student athlete, Simon Fraser, for those who may not know out there, has one of the biggest re academic reputations out of any university across the entire country. So when blending that with football, how do you find now that you're in a position of being on guys' cases about them being in good academic standing and high-level athletes, how do you find that you reflect on that experience of when you were in that position playing university at U of M and having to be a high-level student in, the, in terms of academia? What is the, I guess, the... Um, the transition there that you see from being in the position of recruiting coordinator and then being in the student athlete position. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me, um, you know, just like any football player, just like any student athlete, they've always had to deal with trying to find that balance because it is a fine line between, you know, your athletic demands or your, your football demands as well as your academic demands, right? So I think for me, I was a little bit more of, a, of the kind of mindset that, like, I knew I had to do what I had to do in the classroom and do it well to take the stress off me so I could focus on football. So it was a little bit easier. I didn't find that school was necessarily, you know, hard at the university level as a student athlete. It was more that it was a commitment of time and the ability to time manage that I struggled with at the beginning and got better kind of gradually every year. Um, and that's something with our players, you know, and I'm sure it's no different from any player or any coach talking to their players at any other program around the country is, you know, you have to time manage, you have to stay on top of your studies, all those things. But for us, you know, looking at it from a perspective as a coach now at SFU, it's, it's one of those things that it's a far greater um, demand because the academic part is such a, prestigious thing for the university they don't look at it as 1a 1b it's hey this is 1a your academics your education and your program is your first priority and then athletics is, is the next and don't get me wrong they're they're getting to the point where they are extremely close in terms of relativity but at the same time i think when i was at U of M, it was hey handle school but you know football is still a big a big proponent as to why you're here right so it's it's for me it's funny because i look at it i was like man i, I thought i at the beginning at least struggled with school and struggled with what the demand for me as a student athlete was but i look back or look you know forward to now i look at some of the demands for our, you know our freshmen or our sophomores and i go man the academic demand for you guys is far greater than what it was um and and i think that's where i kind of see the you know the difference and i kind of also have that you know sympathy or empathy with how they go about their studies because i know that it is demanding and you talk about the example of U of M and obviously U of M not being as academically prestigious in general, obviously specific faculties such as ASPOR, if you're in the science faculty, have higher expectations academically than if you're a general student or in university one. Um, so that this topic of being a student athlete, because now as time is going on, you see that, you know, classes are online and universities value is being put to question in terms of getting a degree. But obviously for many of these players, if they want to get a chance to play in the CFL, they have to kind of go the university route, whether it's in Canada or the U.S., if they want a chance even to play pro. There are some guys that get the opportunity through junior, of course, but those are few and far in between. So how do you analyze the, scenario, the situation of being a student athlete, but not wanting to burn yourself out if you know that university is not a, a final destination for you? Because obviously I'm sure you came across many guys when you're playing as a U of M where it was, you know, knocks for jocks or school was taking a back seat to playing football because it was, you know, make it to the league or fall on my backup plan that's not school. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that's, I mean, that was one of those things that I think I really looked at was like, you know, there's a lot of guys that I thought for sure were surefire pro ball players, um, were guys that were extremely, you know, athletic, extremely gifted, had all the tools to be, you know, five, 10 year pros. Um, but like you said, school wasn't a priority or it wasn't their, you know, motivation for being at, you know, whether it was U of M or any other university for that matter. Um, and I think that's where you started to see that the, the demand for academics and athletics needed to go hand in hand as opposed to, hey, I'm here for athletics, but I'll do the academics because I have to. You know what I mean? It was more of a understanding that if you can do both of these things together successfully and at a high level, 
you're going to have a degree in hand that will set you up for that 40 years after you're done playing football. But you also will leave here as a better football player, developed, more mature, more physically prepared to go take an opportunity at the pro level and hopefully, you know, land there and be there on a, you know, in a career capacity. Um, but I think that, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of people that maybe deviated from that, that route and thought, you know, if I go another route, it's a short term thing. It's a, I can make it. And if it doesn't work out well, oh well. And like you said, I think there's a lot of time that you don't have the foresight to really see what the big picture is. And I think the big picture is, you know, you want to leave with a degree and you want to leave with an opportunity to play pro ball. Well, you need to go the university route because if that's the case, um, you know, over that four or five years that you're at a university, um, it gives you the time to mature to both mentally and physically um, develop in the game. And then also to more importantly, to get your education, right? So, um, you know, I always encourage guys that I come in contact with on a coaching capacity, even outside of SFU, you know, to finish school, to finish strong, to handle school, because, I think that there's a lot more value in having that piece of paper than there is in pursuing pro opportunities with no backup plan. Um, don't get me wrong. I've seen guys, you know, I, I was good friends with Andrew Harris and, and I know guys that have taken jumps from the junior level or from other avenues, whether it was junior college, et cetera, and made it into the pro level and stayed for six, seven years. But that's again, few and far between. So, um, you know, I always encourage guys to look at the big picture and maybe school's not for you. Maybe it's a trade, maybe it's something else, but at least having a plan and a plan to get from point A to point B. Did your philosophy on being a student athlete change from when you first got to university as your career went on? Or did you always have this philosophy of the importance in terms of the dichotomy of school and football? I think for me, I was always a little bit different. I think I was always very self-motivated. So for me, in high school, I knew I wanted to go to university without hesitation. There wasn't a, hey, I'm going to take a gap year or I'm going to go play junior football or I'm going to go X, Y, Z to get to, you know, to get to plan B. It was, I know I want to go to university. I know I want to pursue a higher education. I want to play collegiate football. I want to put myself in the best position to be, you know, a university graduate at some point. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know if that was going to be a three-year plan, a five-year plan, six-year plan, whatever. But I always, to myself, and this is something that was always a personal goal of mine, was, hey, go to university, get a university degree, and then whatever else happens in your life is just extra. Um, you know, obviously, like, you know, the football aspect of it was a huge proponent into, you know, the route I took and where I went along the way. But at the end of the day, like the end goal was never, never not to end up at a university and to try and to obtain a degree and to focus on at least having some sort of formal higher education. So having that importance in terms of academia in your life, coupled with football is obviously something that pays off now because of the position that you're in. And when you look at guys that finish with a university degree of value versus the ones that sludge through school there, there is a bit of a trend in terms of favoring having the, the holistic education and having a purpose with your education as well. So in terms of what you were aiming for in university, how did you navigate yourself through while, uh, through university ball while trying to figure out what you would do if you didn't end up playing pro and how did you end up into coaching? Was that something that you knew you wanted to get into or was, or was there another plan that you had and then coaching kind of took you by yeah. the wind? No, I mean, I guess to answer your first question, um, you know, for me, university was always a priority as far as getting to that level of education um, and pursuing a degree. Um, but, you know, the one thing I will say in the, the caveat to that is I, I hadn't finished my degree. I'm, I'm actually re-enrolled re in school now to finish my degree through the University of Manitoba. Um, and I say that to tell you this is like, 
again, the goal from day one, like I just alluded to, was I'm going to university as soon as I finish high school. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to leave this to be a thing that I pursue if everything else in my life doesn't work out. It was, I'm going to university to get university education and play football at the collegiate level. So those two things being goals, um, again, my road was a little bit less, un, you know, less conventional than, than most, but at the same time, um, the goals remain the same. And, and I think for me, things coming back full circle was, you know, understanding that I had that goal at 18 or 17, and now at the age of 30, I'm not looking to not follow through on what I committed to then. You know what I mean? And yes, it's taken a long time to get back to this point. I've had a lot of things happen in my life along the way um, that have afforded me opportunities to do things well outside the scope of academia. But at the end of the day, um, my network, my ability to, you know, work in different circles and try different things and expose myself to different opportunities has allowed me to now put myself in a position where going back to school is a priority, finishing my degree is a priority. Um, and also too, for me on a personal level, guys that know me know that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yes, this has been a long winded um, pause and a, and a definite, um, you know, time consuming period where I didn't do anything academically, but I also understood that this was a priority for me um, to walk away with a degree like I set out to do when I was 18. Um, and then for the other part, you know, to move on to the coaching aspect, like, you know, again, extremely fortunate and blessed to have built a name throughout my playing career. Um, and, and also just in terms of people that I interacted with along the way throughout playing football and throughout um, traveling around the country and all over the place playing football, that it afforded me an opportunity to, you know, when coaches came calling, they knew what they were getting in me. They knew they were going to get someone that loved the game. They were going to get someone that was motivated, someone that was energetic, someone that could relate to players. So those things that, you know, maybe weren't tangible in the academic sense um, or in the, you know, business sense were still there as a, as a coach and as a person that brings value to a program or to a team or to a position go, uh, group. So for me, you know, I – took the time off when I got released in 2015, um, kind of was figuring out what I wanted to do. I know that I love working with kids. Um, I had done that in every off season and I had done that whenever I came home to Vancouver from whether it's U of M or elsewhere. So for me, um, I knew I wanted to be around some sort of in some sort of capacity around the game. Um, I, I was more on the training side of things. I was big on the strength and conditioning stuff, um, working with players at the pro level and the university level kind of progressed into their next, you know, step or phase of, of football. Um, and so for me, I was like, I do want to be around the game. I always joked early on when I got released and around that time, I wasn't ready to coach because I didn't feel like I was far enough removed from the game that I could tone down my personality as a player and transition into a coach. I was a super intense person as a player. I was a super, you know, loud, um, you know, super vocal, super, you know, motivating type person. And any of my teammates will tell you that, but that was who I was as a player. So I felt like to try and minimize that, to coach someone and give them, you know, articulate feedback and constructive coaching, I wasn't there yet. So, you know, I, you know, I got into coaching kind of on a whim because, you know, I played for the Langley Rams and they had asked me if I would come back and just kind of help guest coach during the spring ball practices. And I did that kind of like, you know, half-heartedly thinking like, hey, this is just good to be back around an organization that gave me so much. Um, but that ended up being parlayed into, hey, can you come to training camp? And then I was at training camp for a couple of practices. Hey, do you mind sticking around for the season? And I was like, sure. And, and you know, fast forward, that was two years that I was in Langley as a DB coach. Um, enjoyed my time there. 
actually grew a lot as a coach and, and really kind of found myself as a coach and kind of working on those skills that I was talking about as far as being able to minimize that intensity and, and find a way to channel that correctly. Um, and then, yeah, and the opportunity and to join the staff at SFU came about and it was funny because I was literally going to walk away from coaching for a year just to kind of have some me time and explore other opportunities professionally that I had um, being afforded to me. And I was getting ready to do those and, you know, the relationship I had with coach Ford and, our first interaction and first conversation we had, I knew that this was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Um, a chance to coach at the collegiate level, a chance to coach in the NCAA, a chance to do something in a program in my hometown, um, all those things check boxes for me. So um, that's kind of how I came about getting on staff with, you know, at Simon Fraser. And then from there, my mentality and my personality from every part of what I've done in my life has been about putting your head down and working your butt off. And if you can do that, everything else will take care of itself. So, you know, I've been in the program now for three years and I've just continued to try and build my profile and my resume as a coach um, just to show that I can do it and do it at a high level. And, and that's kind of where I'm at with my, you know, coaching, you know, resume right now and where I'm at with myself at the program at SFU. And so with the other interviews I've had with coaches, you know, they, Coaching can be the most rewarding job and also one of the, the worst jobs in the world because of it being super insecure, you know, unlike any other career that you could ever endeavor in. And it's not, it almost isn't even one that you can purposefully plan to be in. I feel like it just kind of, it's kind of serendipitous, right? Like the opportunity to be a, a head coach or even just a coach on a university team in any capacity is not an easy thing to do. And so when you get that opportunity, you don't really want to give it up. But again, I, I was having a conversation with an old friend yesterday who I played football with uh, in university and we were talking about this, this concept of when, when you're in the world of football that sometimes it can feel like you're on a hamster wheel as in like you're stuck in that like bubble of football and doing the same thing and grinding and, and you know, rocking around the clock and it's almost like being in the military that the things that people try to do outside of football only happen once it's done. Do you find that that's something that you can relate to? And if so, how do you try to find balance in the world of, of being immersed at, as a coach at the collegiate level? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, like exactly that, I think that's a pretty good analogy is like you do very much become fixated on football and the end goal of, you know, whether it's playing or pursuing pro opportunities or just riding it out as long as you can for whatever reasons, you know what I mean? That's for for so many of us as football players, you look at it as like, listen, I don't want to sit here and say I'm defined by my sport, but majority of us allow ourselves to be defined by our sport. That's just the reality of, of the mentality that comes with playing football is, you know what, I don't want to do anything other than train seven days a week. I don't want to do anything other than practice every day. I don't want to do anything other than play football games. I don't want to do anything other than talk football. Like you just become so fixated with what football is as a culture that it becomes the, you know, you don't really see the outside world. You're blinded to the fact that you have a goal to pursue football to the highest level you can possibly get there, regardless of what that is. And that's when it's like, oh, when you step back, the minute you can step back, you start to realize that, you know, hey, I love football. Doesn't mean I'm not, you know, it's not my passion or my purpose or I'm not motivated by it, but I can do other things too that will allow me along the way to set myself up, whether it's career opportunities, relationships, um, you know, experiences. Like those are things that you as a player, and I always tell our players and players that I've coached and come in contact with over the years is, don't allow yourself to not network while you play. Because if you don't, you'll never know 
what experiences or opportunities are out there. Um, you know, for me, I was extremely blessed and extremely fortunate to have so many opportunities, both in football and outside of football, because of football, you know what I mean? And it wasn't because I was some great player with a huge name or some celebrity. I was able to build relationships with players, with coaches, um, with personnel people along the way that now as an adult in a career or pursuing something outside of playing football, um, it's afforded me opportunities. I've had opportunities to do stuff with, you know, video games and be in video games. I've had opportunities to, you know, interview for, you know, NFL teams. I've had opportunities to do all these cool, unique things in my own personal life, both, you know, personally and career-wise that I only would have ever gotten had I done it the way I did, which was network. And, mm-hmm. and I tell our guys that all the time is, you know, football is a, a huge, you know, vehicle for getting so far in your lives and establishing life after football. But you have to have that open-eyed perspective and that ability to step back sometimes and go, okay, hold on. Hey, what else is there out there for me to do? Maybe I take that one month we have off in the summer and I do a, you know, a co-op or a job experience, or maybe I travel or maybe I intern somewhere. Like there's things that you can do along the way even still being fixated on football that allows you to pursue things when football stops. Cause at the end of the day, the reality is football ends for everyone, right? Whether you play four years, 10 years, whatever the case may be, it ends for everybody. Right. And, and I always tell our guys, you know, football in relativity to the rest of your life is going to be a finite moment in your story. So you look at the end of your, you know, your life, you don't want to look back and go, well, you know, I only had four years of football, but that four years I did this, this, and this, okay, well, what about the other, you know, 45 years you've lived on this earth? What have you done? What impact have you had? What career opportunities have you seized? What, you know, experiences do you remember more outside of football? So those are the things that, you know, I think I really want our guys to understand and players in general that you can look at, you know, stop and smell the roses, look around you, see what other things you can do to diversify you as an individual while still pursuing football. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm a coach because I believe football is still the greatest game and the greatest, you know, vehicle in the world to getting people to experience things that you'll never experience in, in the job world or in, you know, in the career, you know, arena. It's, it's football is a completely different beast. You come in contact with so many different people that it, it is going to be an experience that's going to be life changing if you take advantage of the opportunities it presents. And I think that's where, for me, I kind of was fortunate in that sense that I, I kind of had opportunities outside of football because I did that along the way. This reminds me of the conversation I was having on an earlier episode with Nick Lewis, who was talking about, obviously, you know, like his resume speaks for itself and, you know, it doesn't need a further introduction, but he was talking about, right. Even as a CFL player, even if you take someone like Louis Pasaglia, who played 25 years in the CFL on top of all the years he played football before career still came to an end, still had to do something after football, right. Regardless of how much of a legend or hall of fame or whatever you are. And he was talking about this concept of, if all I'm remembered for at the end of my life is who I was as a football player, then I have failed because I did not make more of myself as a man or as a father or as a brother, whatever it is, than I could have because I was so focused on this small, minute thing that was just being a player for the sake of people's entertainment. And another thing that I remember him mentioning was like, I'm sure you can resonate with this is that what people see on TV or in a football game, whether it's watching university, whatever, is they only see stuff that happens on the field for three hours. They're not seeing the stuff that happens behind the scenes at practice in the film room, you know, in the weight room, whatever, whatever, all the different places that you play football as a coach playing a game is very, a very small percentage of what actually happens as a coach X's and O's is a very small percentage of what actually happens as a coach. 
so with this idea of like being so consumed by football, it's like this just behemoth of, of time and energy. What larger goals do you have for yourself in your life or have you formulated as your football career went on that you want to achieve when you're out of this, this hamster wheel of football or that you want to maybe achieve while you're involved with coaching football? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, shout out to Nick Lewis, great friend, great dude. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to guest coach with him last year in BC and in his year in BC, and um, I was out there with him during training camp. So Nick's a phenomenal dude. It was even an even better football player, but I think something that's highly underrated about him because of his personality and how, like, you know, flamboyant he was on the field or how loud he was on the field is he's a great person. Um, so shout out to Nick. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, um, I think for me the, the bigger goals I have um, – in the football world, first and foremost, is to continue to, to advance myself in, in coaching. Um, I, I do want to eventually be a coordinator one day. Um, I don't speak to that much. I'm so focused on trying to be a good you know, position coach right now and, and, and continue to build my room to the standard in which I would hold for myself as a player as well as want them to hold for themselves and each other. Um, but I think you know, eventually being a coordinator and, and obviously someday hopefully a head coach um, you know, another passion of mine is in the football arena, at least is, is, is personnel. I think that's something for me that is a huge, uh, a motivating factor is the opportunities, um, that I've come in contact with and, and I've tried to explore and will continue to explore further as personnel. And, um, I think more specific at the professional level. Um, I, I think that's where I end up eventually. Um, but right now I'm enjoying coaching. I think being a young coach and being able to impact young men um, like myself at that point in my life um, it is huge to me. I don't undervalue that. I don't uh, think that that doesn't carry weight. I think that's something that's extremely important to me. So being around college football right now is where I want to be. Um, I think that's the goal is to continue to level up and potentially end up at a program that's maybe, you know, a, a higher level, um, but still doing the same thing, still coaching, still being involved in the on-field stuff, because I think that's what is most rewarding right now. Um, and then outside of that, I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing outside of the football world or football arena is, is continue to just build a, a, a happy life, man. I think the, the thing about football is, it was an escape for so many people. I know it was for me. It was a great place for me to help, you know, manage my mental health and manage my um, personality and, and how I felt about things going on in my daily life. That I think for me, you know, moving away from football is finding ways to, you know, find the same happiness and the same um, motivation and the same drive to do things um, that I, I got from football. You know, at the end of the day, football gave me so many of the, you know, values and morals and, and, um, structure that I needed to have a successful life away from football. So, you know, in the outside world or the world outside of football, um, you know, I just want to continue to work at myself and, and building a better, you know, more consistent, like mental health. And then more importantly, just finding things that make me happy that weren't football related, because I've started to realize as I've gotten older, that there are things out there that I've never experienced. There are things out there that I have experienced, but didn't realize bring me just as much joy as, you know, um, football has. And, and I think for me, those are the things that I want to continue to try and explore. And I think other than that, it's, you know, be a great son, be a great father, be a great, you know, boyfriend, um, and, and continue to work at building those things. Um, the same way I built my football life, you know, working hard at it, focusing on it, you know, have the good and the bad, but finding ways to work around those or work through those things and then continue to just try and level up and, you know, give myself that comfortable cushion that later in life I can kick back and enjoy life somewhere on a beach. <laughs> but, you know, those are, those are the things I'm trying to do right now with my life and, and hopefully, you know, continue to work towards those things. 
And uh, I like the, the thing, the, the part you brought, brought up about mental health and how football can be an escape. Right. And like the, I think one of the dangerous aspects that people may realize soon in the fall this year is that football is, and always will be to some degree an escape for, for many young men, uh, whether it be a high school university junior and without football, you know, many people can, can feel lost now. However, they, they may handle that feeling of, of being lost is, it, it varies along the spectrum of, you know, not that bad to very, very bad. And even at the pro level, right? I was having a conversation with another, one of my former podcast guests, Brett McNeil, who played 12 years for the Bombers and went to three great cups and did all sorts of things that many pro players have never done and talked about the most difficult thing of being retired from football is that most of the time, it's not your choice. Most people's careers end not because they wanted to attend. How many people ride off into the sunset like Peyton Manning with the Super Bowl, you know, like raising it high and happy or the great cop? Very little, right? Can you imagine being a player like on Winnipeg for how many years, never having ever won the great cup until this year? And right. so it's, I find it such a fascinating aspect because when I was at University of Calgary, the only time I was a part of a CIS program mm. was I found that you, you look and see, you know, these are some of the most talented amateur athletes you've ever played with. Right. But how many of them are actually going to make a career of football? Very little, contrary to what you think. You talk about U of M, so many guys are like, okay, like these guys could play five, 10 years, blah, blah, blah. And then most of them actually don't. So right. how, do, how do you try to relay that harsh reality to the players that you work with? And what positive effect are you trying to bring out of the young men that are under your jurisdiction as a, as a DB coach recruiting coordinator? Because obviously it's not easy handling you know, life after football, especially in a case like this with COVID where that right well could just end your career and that's it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, I think the thing is, is um, as coaches, we're entrusted to, you know, be the people that mentor, guide, and direct these players when they come into our program, regardless of what year they're in, regardless of how much we love them during the football season. We have to do that stuff year round. I think that's something that, you know, our program prides itself on, our staff prides itself on, is making sure that we're around these players in some form or fashion texting you know messaging in group chats talking on zoom calls whatever the case may be because at the end of the day when you're a player it's as much as we're sitting here having this you know dialogue about being able to be well-rounded or be able to step back and take a chance to look at the bigger picture or to be able to be objective and and, and network and do all these other things that's great but when you're in the thick of it when you're a, a student athlete when you're a player that football is the end all be all or is the only thing you can see it's hard to have that taken away from you and like you said to to the point of per, pursuing pro, professional opportunities like that's one to two percent of the of the entire team that'll ever get that experience let alone being able to make a career of it right those are two different things in and of itself but at the end of the day when it comes down to the other 95 or 97 or 98 percent you have to be prepared to help those young men figure out ways to channel the same things that got them to the highest of their levels with football into their personal lives. How can I help him establish work ethic in a business arena? How can I help him establish happiness in academia or community service or relationships? Like those are the things as a coach that our responsibility, and I think is going to be even more crucial moving forward into this next year to a year and a half is how can we make these players understand that they are not of any less value because they're not playing football for us? Um, I think that's something that, especially at the highest of levels right now, can sometimes get lost in translation. Um, you know, you hear players and see players, you know, advocating for, well, we need 
to have a players union or we need to, uh, you know, speaking to the division one level and things like that is because they don't feel that they reciprocated um, in terms of, they don't feel reciprocated to in the sense that they don't feel like their value of anything other than, a, you know, a player that is going to make money for the university. And that's where for us as mentors and as in, as role models in these players' lives, we have to find ways to help these players understand that regardless of the football aspect, that'll eventually work itself out. How can you, you build your own brand? How can you build self-worth? How can you build some sort of value in your own eyes, let alone in the university's eyes or our program's eyes by doing things that maybe are outside of the scope of football? Yes, you're a football player. Yes, you're a student athlete. That is not changing. But what can we do to help you build value? Maybe it's helping you do more in school. Maybe it's helping you start a business on the side. Maybe it's helping you, you know, pursue a, a job opportunity while you opt out for the year. Whatever the case may be, there's so many ways that we can facilitate that. But I think it's on us as coaches to help do that. And I think that will all work back into the same principles of understanding that right now mental health is the thing that's going to take the biggest hit the physical part all those things yes you're seeing injuries pile up especially at the pro level and things like that but we can work our way back into being physically pre prepared for football when we get the green light when we have an understanding and a timeline and a plan of action for getting back to playing football we'll handle those things but right now the focus should be on mental health should be on time management it should be on academics because those are the things that right now are the most prevalent in these players lives right and for us, we're in a unique situation where we got players that are up here from the U.S. where some kids are just, you know, I'm going to stay at home and do online classes. There are players are still in online classes as well, but they made the conscious decision to come here, be situated in the city, be around their teammates and spend this next, you know, three to six or eight months back with their players, back with their teammates, back with their coaches, working at things that will help them become better football players. And exactly to what you were saying is I think mental health is the biggest biggest proponent in success for these guys if they don't have someone helping check on their mental health you know establishing good habits to build good mental health it, it, we're not doing these guys a, a, a due service we're, we're giving them a disservice in the sense that we're not looking out for their well-being yeah it's i i can only imagine how difficult it is for guys that are football players now during this time i remember when i stopped playing football there was yeah. almost a sense of relief that okay now I can finally get off my life or I don't have to worry about being so enclosed in this, you know, you're like in purgatory. When's the next thing going to happen? Like, when are we going to play our next game or all these things, right? Like it's so tough because your, your mental health can cave in on itself when there's too many factors out of your control that you're having, that you're starting to, to build worry about, but it's human nature because it's hard to not worry about them. Even when you know you, Hey, don't control what you can control that. That's like, you know, a staple phrase of football. Right. Okay, easier said than done. How many guys still worry about things they can't control all the time? How many guys complain about what the refs, what the refs do, what the other team does, blah, blah, blah. It, the list goes on. So having guys' mental health in check is such an important part, and I really like that you mentioned that because if you don't, right, you could have the most talented athletes in the country, but if you don't have guys who are with it up here, it's not going to matter. So to transition into my next question, with having that position of power to be able to make an impact, what is the most rewarding thing about being a coach at the university level? I think for me, man, I, I, I always look at it as, as the same way I look at it as a player. I think the things that made it rewarding to me as a player, like the experience, the collegiate experience, the student athlete experience was I had coaches that were pouring into me daily. I had coaches that believed in me daily. I had coaches that 
wanted to see me win, not only on the field, but in life. And, and I, it might not even been coaches all the time. It was trainers. It was, you know, strength coaches. It was all these people that are around me that allowed me to have this self-belief that I could do anything that I ever put my mind to. Um, and I think now the flip side of that is as a coach, I do the same thing. I think for me, the most rewarding thing is I want to continue to pour into people and, and really empower them to do whatever they want to do in life. It's not limited to football. It's whatever you want to do in life, I'm going to support you. If I recruit you and you choose to come to SFU and I'm coaching you for two, three, four years, I'm not going to stop our relationship the day you finish playing football for me as a senior. I'm going to reach out to you six months later, a year later. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Because at the end of the day, I want to see you win in life. And if you can win in life, I've done my job as a coach. I've done my job as a mentor. I've done my job as a person that wants to, you know, empower the next person that wants to be like me. Because at the end of the day, I think without that self-belief, you know, you're very limited in how you go about being able to experience life. I think the more you doubt yourself or the more you put yourself in a box or the more you, you know, don't take risk, the more that you're just going to live life kind of going through the motions, you know, working for someone else, doing a nine to five. And don't get me wrong, there's people that thrive in those situations as well. But I think the vast majority of people have aspirations of doing things outside of, the norm, you know what I mean? And, and whether that's in a career, a professional setting, or that's a relationship setting, or that's an experience setting, there's things that I think for us as coaches, the, the most rewarding part is when a player comes back in five years or, or in 10 years and goes, coach, hey man, like I was going through this, that, and the other when I was playing, but you know what? You really instilled that family's important, or you really instilled that I could do anything in a business sense, or you really showed me the way to get that last little bit of potential out of myself, or you just, you know, showed me that my mental health is, is a priority or things like that, like taking those life lessons and, and giving it to them and having them come back years later and say, Hey, you know what, coach, that was something that I needed in that moment. And it changed the trajectory of my life. That's probably the most rewarding thing is seeing these guys go on to be great, you know, men being great husbands, being great fathers, being great uh, brothers, being great, you know, whatever it may be. It's about giving these guys a belief that they can do anything that they set their mind to, but also seeing it come to fruition because they stay on the same track they did as a football player, work hard, do everything the right way, be positive, be respectful, be mature, and everything else will take care of itself. So I think the most rewarding thing is seeing players go on to have their own successes. And I think I judge success on what you do outside of football because the accolades that come with football are great, but those are team more often than not. They're not individual accolades. And even the individual accolades, they don't mean much after you've removed yourself from playing football. So I think the biggest thing for me that's rewarding is watching these guys go on to be great players, um, but also more importantly, great people. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And obviously uh, there's, there's so much importance in being a great person and having great character. And I've, I've seen this, this post around social media is that, you know, people will forget, you know, the great plays you had, the words you won, but people will never forget what kind of person you were, right? They'll never forget who you were long after the fact that you weren't all Canadian or long after the fact that you won the Vanier Cup or you won, you know, a national championship because those things only carry so much weight. And like you said, Another point I didn't even really think of is that most of those time, most of the time, those are team accolades. Those are all because of those who are surrounding you. Even if you're winning an individual award, there's a lot of people that were in place to allow you to succeed to get that individual award. You weren't on an island and did everything by yourself, right? So that's an important thing to remember as well for guys who may use that to boost their ego or. Football is the only team that 
team sport, man. I, I, I would say that, and, you know, you hear coaches say that all the time, and it is obviously very, very cliche, but it's the ultimate team sport because there's nothing like it. There's no sport where you have a, a roster of 95, 90, 100 guys that all have to find a way to put their own personal motives and, and prerogatives aside and come together for one, you know, unified goal. And I think that's what makes football unique, but it also gives you the exact vehicle we just talked about in terms of it prepares you for life after football because you're dealing with people from different, you know, backgrounds, different perspectives, different, you know, races, religions, um, upbringings. Like there's, there's nothing that is a greater melting pot than a locker room in football. Um, you get every aspect, every walk of life in one room and you're just told, Hey, we need to get all 90 or a hundred of you guys thinking, believing and doing the same thing to get to a goal. And in the good programs that build that culture and those, you know, understandings and are able to do that and accomplish that at a high level are the teams that go on and build, you know, guys that become CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, guys that are huge in their communities, guys that, you know, have great family lives, guys that run businesses, small businesses, you know, medium-sized businesses. So that's what I think makes football unique. And like you said, it's a team sport that, without everyone else doing their job to the best of their ability, there isn't going to be success for that team. Yes, you might get away with one guy just being a stud or building a name for himself, and he's an all-Canadian, he's a national championship, he's a, he's a defensive player of the year, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, that doesn't help you know, accomplish the team goals. But if you can have everyone believing themselves to be an MVP in their own right, well, now you have a team full of guys that are going to succeed as a group. 100%. And that's such a great way to – to really, you know, bring that home in terms of making sure that guys are understanding the importance of the position that they're in, in terms of being in that melting pot in the locker room and having to break, be brought together with many people from all walks of life in order to achieve that main goal. So just before we wrap up our time, we have one more question here for you before uh, we conclude today's episode. And this may be a bit of a throwback or it may be a bit of a catching you off guard. Who is the toughest or three, if, if there's too many to name, Opponent, individual opponent that you ever had to line up against when you played football in terms of receiver? Uh, okay, that's a good one. Um, toughest receiver I would have had to line is this Is this limited to guys I played with or to anyone I would have played anywhere against anybody? Uh, against, like uh, like on, on the other team, like not guys from your team. Okay. I was going to say, I, play, I was fortunate to play with some pretty good receivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys you played with in Langley were crazy. Um, I think the 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 hardest guy I had to ever cover. That's a tough one, man. I mean, there's some different guys that, along the way. I think um, in my junior years, um, in my junior years, I, I <laughs> I'm biased. I had a couple of good guys on my team that I don't want to like disrespect by saying this guy was better. But I think um, guys that I like to compete with, a, a guy that played in. Um, NVI was a guy named uh, Robin Medeiros. He was a good player, played on the teams that Andrew Harris was a part of. Um, really good football player. He brought it every single play. Me and him went to war against each other. Um, great player, great person. Um, at the pro or at the collegiate level, um, I think, you know, guys like Kit Hillis was a great player. Um, undersized receiver from SAS. Very elusive. Wasn't a guy that looked like he was going to be very much of a player, but consistent good hands worked hard ran hard um it was fun to go to war against um calgary had a slew of receivers that were really good uh in my years at, at u of m um i mean i could go down the list of guys that i played against that everyone brought something different some were some were you know 
good pass catcher. Some were burners. Some were great players. Um, and at the pro level, I mean, I, I played. You know, I was fortunate. I have a great relationship with him as well. But Giroy was a guy that I played against again, just smooth, <laughs> elusive in how he ran routes. Um, another guy that was a dog that I, I had a chance to compete against was a guy named Ernest Jackson. Um, big body guy, not a guy that's going to run by you, but he will run through you. Um, loved going to, going against him. And then obviously Paris Jackson was another guy I played against. And I know it sounds kind of biased because they're guys I'm good friends with to this day, but those are guys that made me better on the practice field. Um, and I think along the way, I learned a lot from them about just the game and how to carry yourself, but also how to compete, rep in and rep out. So those would probably be like the few guys that off the top of my mind are guys that I was, I was grateful to play against or compete with. Did you ever play Ernest Jackson well enough that you made him bobble the ball four times before catching it? I didn't make, I didn't get that, but uh, I definitely, uh, we had our battles in practice when he came to BC. And then, um, I mean, when he got to the Montreal, he was on a different level. When he got to Ottawa, he was on a different level. So it was great to see him have his, his success as well. Now, just to give some, pay some respects to the guys that you were playing, playing junior with, who were those guys or who are the guys that you were, your, were your favorite to compete against in terms of being the toughest when you were playing Langley? I mean, guys that I played with, uh, Nick Downey one of, was one of my best friends. I actually brought him to BC from our time in Scotia, went to Acadia together. Um, phenomenal athlete, faster than I don't know what, probably still to this day, one of the fastest players I've ever been around. Um, and extremely elusive. Um, the other guys that were really good players in junior that I played with, um, obviously Malcolm Williams and played um, in Winnipeg and in and Toronto as well. Um, you know, Dan English was another good player that was, had success um, at the junior level. Um, and I think one other person that I played with that kind of never really got his due, but was a good player as well was um, uh, blank my mind right there. But uh, um, from our years would have probably been, I, I want to give him his due too, but he he kind of made the transition to receiver for us um, and came from Toronto, a guy named Justine Edwards, and any big body guy that could play um, and, and didn't get a lot of love because he only had one year junior, but he was, he was a phenomenal player um, and a good dude, another guy I'm good friends to this day with. So those are some guys I played with that were exceptional receivers. Well, Jordan, with that, it's going to wrap up today's episode number 17. Thanks so much for – for having the time to come on and, and to share the, the wisdom and the experiences of what it means, you know, to be a young coach at a high level and then how you are trying to transition the skills that you've developed to even to become even better and also to be better for others that you're impacting in football. So thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Matias. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing for the football community and, and for Winnipeg. And, and I really appreciate your time. Well, everyone, thank you again for listening to episode 17 with Jordan Lennon, defensive back coach and recruiting coordinator at SFU. Here we go, here we go. Tonight! Easy, easy! And the kill, kill! Lane, Lane! Moves to the right, it goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it. Nick Foles! It's a touchdown by Nick Foles! Let's go! Let's go! Woo! Everything today. Let's go, Bijan. Catch him and throw him. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Huddle Up. Make sure to follow on social media at Huddle Up Podcast on Instagram and on YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Let's make sure to execute this week, and I'll see you next time.